It is important and refreshing to receive a journal like Sources. I rely on Sources for a deeply informed and well-curated collection of essays responding to current events and issues in contemporary Jewish life. Hi, I'm Claire Sufrin, editor of Sources, a journal of Jewish ideas. We get in-depth information from noted scholars, often in dialogue with one another, which is not to say always in agreement. In the newly released spring issue, scholars examine the theme of Jewish life tomorrow, reimagining key Jewish concepts for the present and future. Read, reflect, and subscribe to the award-winning journal at sourcesjournal.org. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Identity Crisis, a show about news and ideas from the Shalom Hartman Institute. I'm Yuta Kurtzer, and we're recording on Wednesday, July 20th, 2022, from Jerusalem. It's an amazing and strange experience to be in a foreign country as an American when the president of the United States comes on a state visit. Now, for me, Israel is not that foreign of a country, and a state visit by the president, while a very big deal, is also not a once-in-a-generation occurrence. Still, I have to say I really appreciated being here in Jerusalem last week when President Biden arrived for four intense, substantively and symbolically significant days of meetings and appearances yet another chapter in the unfolding and complex America-Israel bilateral relationship. A few days before the visit, American flags started going up all around the city, and one of the fountains in the center of town was suddenly lit up in red, white, and blue. The biggest technical challenge Jerusalem faced last week, as of course you might anticipate, was the traffic. I found myself stuck for an hour trying to walk across Jerusalem to a concert, waiting for the president's motorcade to go by. As you, I'm sure, know, Israelis are a famously patient people, so it was a kind of hilarious delight to stand in a crowd trying to get across Aza Street to their homes, inconvenienced by the President of the United States, who was on his way back from the Maccabiah opening ceremonies back to where he was staying at the King David Hotel. But I have to say, maybe I'm just a nostalgic, old-school, patriotic American. I couldn't help but feel moved and inspired by the sight of a presidential motorcade the flags fluttering on the side as it sped by. I loved it. But there was a lot more going on than the pomp and circumstance of the visit, including the very moving photo op of the president with Holocaust survivors of Yad Vashem, or the official photo with the full Israeli government at the airport. The U.S.-Israel relationship has always been important, and the bilateral relations sometimes warm and sometimes tense. But they seem irrevocably altered by the change in culture that was brought about by the Trump administration. The Trump administration, you'll recall, relocated the embassy to Jerusalem, something that had been promised for a long time but never actually executed. They advanced regional cooperation in the form of the Abraham Accords, and the Trump administration severely attenuated, weakened the bilateral relationship between the United States and the Palestinians, including removing direct consular representation to the Palestinians and insisting, I would argue implicitly, that the U.S. had to choose between being an ally to Israel and being an honest broker in the Israeli-Palestinian conflict. All this takes place, of course, within a larger partisan American context. And any time one side moves in one direction on an issue, the other side ostensibly has to move in the other direction as a means of polarized differentiation. It's not surprising to see the ways in which the Trump-BB alliance, besides actually changing American policy on Israel, 
accelerated the partisan divide on Israel and gave tremendous oxygen to critics of Israel at the same time. So into this mix comes the Biden presidency. Biden was pretty transparently the most classically, quote, pro-Israel of the Democratic candidates for president. And not surprisingly, as a result, the Biden administration hasn't made any great agitations or shifts in American policy vis-a-vis -vis Israel and the Palestinians than his predecessor. So the state visit to Israel then in the midst of a divided American moment is a kind of interesting referendum on Israel in the American political imagination. And like I said, I was excited to have a front row seat to watch it here. So this week, I'm talking to Ambassador Tom Nides, the U.S. Ambassador to Israel, to process the Biden visit and its implications. Ambassador Nides was confirmed by the Senate in November 2021, and he split his career between public service and the private sector. He's also the first American ambassador to arrive in Jerusalem with the embassy and the official U.S. representation actually located here. I can't imagine what it was like to run a presidential visit in country as a U.S. ambassador at the same time as you might expect. I have a special place in my heart for U.S. ambassadors, especially U.S. ambassadors to Israel. Mr. Ambassador, thank you so much for having this conversation with us. I'd love to start with this. You know, it's a big deal for the president to make a trip like this to any country um, and to the region. And maybe you could start by telling us what were the hopes and expectations from the administration for this for this particular trip to Israel right now? And did you feel that they were met uh, over the course of the past week? Well, first of all, Yehuda, thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Um, again, you know, as, as you can imagine, I'm a huge fan of your family. I uh, appreciate everything you service you've done. And obviously now you're a media star. So I appreciate that very much. Uh, listen, I, again, I know it's a bit self-serving, uh, but I think the trip was an enormous success. I think from the beginning to the end, I was enormously pleased with how President Biden was received here. Uh, the messaging that we attempted to try to send was well received. Uh, the single most important thing was for us to make sure the Israeli people understood that there is a deep bond between Joe Biden uh, and uh, Israel and the Jewish people. And I think uh, that came across as, as quite frankly, as good as it could possibly have been. And it's, you know, you can't make this stuff up. You know, he, he cares deeply about it. He, as you know, he said you don't have to be Jewish to be a Zionist. We wanted to portray this unbreakable bond between the United States and Israel. Um, obviously, uh, I think 40 years from now, people will be looking at this photograph of Joe Biden bended on one knee, uh, holding the hands of two Holocaust survivors at Yad Vashem. Uh, it was a beautiful moment for, uh, for anyone, Jewish, non-Jewish, old or young. And I think the whole trip was uh, enormously successful. And I, we achieved everything that we were attempting to achieve. Uh, both, quite frankly, in Israel and in the West Bank. Uh, so we were quite uh, pleased on the trip. So, you know, I think it's one of the interesting things that's happened in America and in light of our partisan country is that if you got back even just 15 years ago and said, you know, who are the most pro-Israel congressmen and senators, uh, Joe Biden would have been near the top of that list. Even going back to his, you know, he, he tells stories about, you know, his conversations with Golda Meir back in the early 70s when he was a freshman congressman. I know that story. I'm sure you do, too. Um, and yet, obviously, the political polarization in our country puts everything under a partisan lens. And you come to Israel 
following a administration and an ambassador that is viewed by this country as being, you know, the neck, the highest level of quote unquote pro-Israel uh, of all time. So on one hand, the administration, it seems, has to differentiate itself from its predecessors. On the other hand, there's a desire to create a kind of continuity in the U.S.-Israel relationship. So how do you think about the relationship between those two pressures, which feel, at least for me on the outside, like they're in tension with each other? Well, listen, first of all, um, you know, our, this administration's view of Israel, it's an unbreakable bond, and not only from a national security perspective, but a protection to the to the people of, of Israel. So uh, no one, I don't, I don't wake up and compare ourselves to the former administration or the former ambassador. Uh, that's not what we do. We, we are our own, uh, we're our own administration. We have our own connection with uh, Israel and the, and the Israeli people, and obviously the American Jewish community as well. Uh, that said, listen, I, you know, I, I've had multiple, many, many conversations with my predecessor, David Friedman, who he, like me, shares one thing in common. We care deeply about uh, the state of Israel. So I never questioned uh, his commitment to the state of Israel, his commitment to um, uh, Zionism, uh, and his commitment to the security of this place, um, and nor does he uh, question mine. So this is, I don't, I really, again, obviously, I don't play politics here. Um, you know, I, I spend as much time with the ultra-Orthodox as I do uh, with the left. Um, I care about the security of the state of Israel. I care about keeping this a democratic Jewish state. I speak for Joe Biden, who is clearly a guy who is focused on this relationship in a way that was exemplified by what I felt was, a again, a phenomenal trip. Uh, and so we, you know, we work together. And listen, there, of course, there's always partisan divides. But listen, I've been enormously supportive of the Abraham Accords, which obviously uh, was created by the previous administration. We look at things that every administration does and work it in a different view than what we might want to have done. Uh, but most importantly, we both have the same commitments uh, to the security of the state of Israel. And that's what really matters. Right. So in that context, the place where I would have thought there would have been a significant policy difference between a Democratic and a Republican administration is around the language of and the commitment to a two-state solution. That's been the American policy position for decades now. The president, when he was here, spoke about a commitment to this two-state solution, but then he said something which actually is recognizable in Israeli political discourse, which is, I'm committed to it, but I don't see it's imminent. So what does that actually mean vis-a-vis -vis American policy? What does American policy want to see happen to actually advance towards a two-state solution? Or does the language of, we don't think it's imminent, mean that we're not actually pushing our Israeli partners to make the kind of uh, policy steps that'll bring it about? Uh, the president uh, has been, uh, as you know, um, has been focusing on this issue about a two-state solution for his whole career. There's not a speech that I give that I don't articulate uh, our vision and our views of why the importance of keeping this a democratic Jewish state is defined by uh, a vision of a two-state solution. What we are doing is making sure that the parties make sure we're capable of keeping that vision alive. And what does that mean specifically? It means uh, this administration has, has dramatically increased the support uh, to the Palestinian people. As you know, we've given almost up to a half a billion dollars through a variety of different means, helping the Palestinian people themselves feel that they have the security and the opportunities that those who live in Israel have as well. Uh, and that's something that I think we have focused on principally. Uh, and I think that's important because ultimately you want to keep people in the game. <laughs> you want to keep people feeling that there is a vision and an opportunity. At the same time, obviously, uh, we're working with both parties to make sure they don't do things 
then impede the possibility of a two-state solution. So I'm, you know, my view, this is a little bit of a carrot and a stick. Um, I think this administration has leaned heavily into, uh, with all the constraints we have about uh, providing assistance uh, in the West Bank and Gaza, obviously there's constraints that we have given the Taylor Force Act, but we are trying to work uh, with the Congress to help people. That's the reason why we dramatically supported uh, helping on the East Jerusalem Hospital Network is a good example. That's for the people. It's not politics, it's for the people. That's why we do education, healthcare programs in the West Bank. It's for the people. And by the way, that's the same reason why, you know, why we've articulated many times for us to dramatically reduce settlement growth uh, in the West Bank in hopes to eliminate the opportunity to make sure that we still keep this vision of a two-state solution alive. So, you know, again, we're very clear about it. We don't want to be, we're not uh, delusional. I mean, would it be great to be able to get the Nobel Peace Prize in the Rose Garden? Uh, well, the president would get it. I'd be able to hold it. Uh, but that that's not, you know, again, you have to you have to set the groundwork for it. That's what we're doing. We're trying to make sure Israelis understand the unbreakable bond, and we need to understand uh, what we're focused on as an administration. I mean, unfortunately, as you know, getting the Nobel Peace Prize for the Israeli-Palestinian conflict is not necessarily a predictor of actual Israeli-Palestinian peace. Yeah, that's what I heard that. Your father tried to do that, too. So it's good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, well, look, I, you know, I think that there are voices, especially in the American left, who would really like to see the role of the U.S. government and your role in particular as basically a neutral mediating party between Israelis and Palestinians. It's pretty clear from all of the optics of the state visit, that that's not how the president was showing up to be in relationship with Israel. This was a bilateral international relations with a U.S. ally, and the Palestinians are a different story. And it's complicated by the fact that now even the question of diplomatic representation to the Palestinians was challenged by the previous administration. So how do you respond to that attitude that says the only way that America actually uses its full force to bring about a resolution to this conflict is if it acts more like a neutral party a powerful neutral party than an Israel ally. I take the exception to that. I think you can be pro-Palestinian and pro-Israel at the same time. The president uh, made it clear, and when he went to the uh, West Bank and met with uh, President Abbas, that one, we delivered a lot to the Palestinian people. You, As you know, in the announcement, it was everything from uh, 4G, which is something we've been spending a lot of time on, to opening the LNB Bridge, to a variety of other economics, things that we were doing for uh, the Palestinian people, including the articulation of a two-state solution. That's something that the president articulated with Abbas standing next to him. As you know, um, both uh, Defense Minister Gantz met with Abbas before we got uh, here, like three or four days before. You know, he also made some announcements. As you also know, uh, Prime Minister Lapid also called Abbas for the first time, which was also publicly uh, disclosed. Much of that was done with our encouragement. Um, so I, you know, I listen again. This, you know, diplomacy is not a straight line, folks. Um, you know, we're, as, as you know, you're well aware of this. Uh, we want to put actions where our mouth is. So we went from arguably very little assistance to the Palestinian people from the previous administration to almost $600 million of a direct assistance to the Palestinian people. That matters, okay? That matters. We stood up at the East Jerusalem Hospital Network and pledged $100 million for 80% of the patients in the hospitals come from the West Bank and Gaza. 20% come from Israel. That matters. That's real. That actually really helps. And at the same time, we clearly believe long-term health of Israel to maintain it as a democratic Jewish state is to have a viable two-state solution. So I listen, I don't want to overplay and overextend and 
and over-exaggerate what we do, we don't do. We're, but we are focused like a laser on the security for the state of Israel and assisting the Palestinian people and trying to create the environment to allow us to begin and continue to discuss the potential of a two-state solution. So I want to push on that a little bit because it kind of seems as though it, what, what's happened under Prime Minister Bennett and now under Prime Minister Lapid is a kind of tacit commitment to this language that some folks are calling shrinking the conflict, um, which is not necessarily making major policy changes around maps or actually building out the infrastructure of either a Palestinian state or a long-term viable reality, but doing things like improving Palestinian civil society, making it more tenable to live under long-term occupation. And it's hard not to hear investments in a hospital as a kind of American mirroring of that kind of policy, as opposed to like pushing hard uh, against home demolitions or against um, actual settlement growth and settlement building. Would you say that that's a fair characterization of American policy? No, I totally disagree with that. I spend every day, you know, obviously trying to be very clear on our position vis-a-vis settlement growth and demolitions. I couldn't be clearer. Uh, Number two, uh, you know, we, we can't lose sight of the people Okay, we can we can do all sorts of maps and conferences and podcasts in a day. We're focused on the people. Okay, you may say, well, you know, what is money for hospitals doing? What are you talking about? I mean, not you personally, but what are people talking about? We're talking about people who are sick, who live in the West Bank or Gaza, have no ability to get health care to come. Do, Do these people wake up in the morning and say, wait, where's my map? No, no. They're like. Where is my kidney dialysis machine? Where is my radiology? Where is my chemotherapy? Okay. Yes. These work permits that the um, Bennett now, the P administration are doing. Listen, I don't get it. It's not the end all to be all. Listen, I, I, I agree with that. It's the single most important thing is to have a long-term solution. In the meantime, we are foolish if we don't take care of people. Okay. Mm-hmm. We're foolish if we don't do that. So I am, listen, I understand the importance of making sure there is a long-term solution to this conflict, 100%. But I'm not going to leave this job and say, the only thing I did was do a bunch more peace conferences and nothing happened. I can work to stop demolitions. I can work to stop settlement growth. I can work to make sure there's money that USAID can do for the Palestinian people. I can make sure that Israel is getting the money they need for Iron Dome and security. These things all matter. And yes, you cannot lose sight of the larger picture, but dang it, I'm not going to sit around and say, okay, that's all I'm going to spend time on and all the things that need to do to help affect people's daily existence don't exist. So, so I, I'm, again, I'm, I'm a practical guy, maybe it's because I'm not a career diplomat. Um, no disrespect for career diplomats, obviously, but I do want to focus on the daily life of people to make sure they get what they need to have, both for the yeah. Jews and for the Palestinians and everyone in between. So, you know, one of the things that Oslo had opened up was a direct bilateral diplomatic relationship between the U.S. and the Palestinian Authority, which, you know, hadn't existed prior to that because, you know, PLO was a recognized terrorist group. Um, but in the past 10 years, direct representation to the Palestinians has become a contested political position. So now I'm curious, I'm actually curious structurally, are you as the U.S. ambassador to Israel now also 
in, in previous eras, there was a consul general in Jerusalem who was really kind of the de facto U.S. ambassador to the Palestinians. I'm curious what the nature right now of U.S. diplomatic relations is with the Palestinians, and is there a diplomatic plan to kind of rebuild some version of direct representation to the Palestinians? Uh, the, as you know, uh, the administration, our administration, the Biden administration made clear that we want to reopen the consulate. So that is uh, the official position of the administration. Um, and we've been working both with the Bennett and Lapid governments to achieve that goal. Uh, in the meantime, as you know, George Knoll, or you may not know, George Knoll uh, works uh, with the POW, or now called the OPA, Office of Palestinian Affairs, uh, here in Jerusalem. It's 60, 70 individuals who spend every day and night working on behalf of those who live in the West Bank and Gaza and on the issues that maintain it. Uh, they now report from a cabling perspective and directly to Washington, to the State Department, giving them direct access to uh, the State Department. In the meantime, I am the obviously the head of the mission, meaning that I'm the chief of mission control, but they have direct access to the State Department. They don't have to do cables directly through me. They can communicate directly to the State Department, which is important their views need to be heard directly without being filtered through me. But obviously, you know, I'm a guy who cares deeply about this. So I spent probably a lot of my time working on these issues because I care. I do believe it's important for the American ambassador to be involved in the issues as it relates to the West Bank and Gaza. If for no other reason, if you believe like I do and this administration believes that the goal here is ultimately to have a two-state solution because be clear, I do believe it makes Israel a stronger democratic Jewish state. And if I didn't believe that, I wouldn't spend my time on it. So yes, you can have your cake and eat it too. You can actually work on behalf of the Palestinian people. You can work to help better their lives. And oh, by the way, you don't have to compromise security for the state of Israel. You can be a Zionist, a strong supporter of Israel. You can walk and chew gum at the same time. Cosign, cosign to that. Um, one of the things that I remember my dad did when he was serving in your role 20 years ago is, and one of the things that diplomats do in general is they kind of tell the story of America overseas. Um, and so for him, his big metaphors regularly were talking about how you can't really understand America unless you understand the Civil War and baseball. I'm curious when you, what's the message around America that you feel that you're bringing to the Israeli people? Um, and what kind of story are you trying to tell about America that you think is important for Israelis to hear? I just, you know, I tell it through the eyes and the mouth of Joe Biden. You know, here's a guy who knows more about Israel than probably any president in, in history. Here's a president of the United States who's just visited Israel for the 10th time, the 10th time. And he spoke at the beginning of the podcast about a story about Golda Meir. He deeply cares and is passionate about that. When the Israeli people hear that, they like, wow, you know, we've got a president of the United States who loves us, who loves us, right? Who cares about us. I try to articulate the views of this president as it relates to Israel is exceptionally important. And let's oh, by the way, his vice president, his vice president who cares deeply about, and his vice president's husband is a Jew, okay? And who cares deeply about Israel and the importance of Israel and the community of Israel and the Jewish community in the United States. So you've got, you know, it's sort of like surround sound, okay? It's surround sound. And then at the same time, a president of the United States who articulates the importance of the two-state solution for the Palestinian people, to someone who, who cares not only about Israel, uh, but the Palestinian people, the importance of the bilateral relationship. So I try to tell that story because then people say, nah, okay, you know, and remember, just a record, it was Barack Obama and Joe Biden who gave us Iron Dome. 
Okay, hold on, I shouldn't say Gave Israel Iron Dome. I can't remember where I'm working. One of the prosecuting ambassadors sometimes uses, start using the word we. Yeah. Uh, I can't use that word. I just, this administration that basically gave is working on almost five to six hundred million dollars for assistance to the Palestinian people. So I'm, a, I'm all about action. I'm about getting things done. I'm about doing things and driving change. But that's what I try to tell people. I guess I'm curious whether your Israeli counterparts, besides our interest in them, and both in the Israeli-Palestinian conflict and in a secure Jewish and democratic Israel, um, I want to know what they're curious about around the major tensions going on in America right now. Um, because that's it's not just us here to help them. It's also, you know, I'm sure their curiosity about some of the major issues that are pulling apart America. Well, listen, I mean, I, I'm always careful when I start lecturing Israelis about right and wrong. I mean, listen, we have a clear view of what we believe they should be doing and they should be behaving. But we got to be careful from the United States. We are not perfect either. And I don't mean to equate. These are democracies, okay? There's a democracy in Israel. I, I joke with them about the fact that, you know, I've now been here. We're now going to another election. We switched prime ministers in the middle of this trip, right? You know, I, I, I try to have a little fun with it. But it's, you know, when you look at our politics in the United States, you know, it's complicated. So I try not to be holier than now, that somehow, you know, why don't you just behave more like the United States and you'll be, you know, you'll be a perfect nation. Well, that's foolish in my view. So I think it's important for her to understand that we too in the United States have vulnerabilities. We certainly aren't perfect. We have the political situation in the United States where the country is basically 50-50. You know, half the country believes in one set of ideas, another half the country believes in another. And, and I think not just what's going on here in Israel right now, where the country is politically divided. So I try to be constructively helpful without being arrogant. Uh, and that's not an easy thing to do. Obviously, we're the United States of America. We're really important allies to this country. And they're really important uh, allies to us. So I try to be able to put it in the right perspective. So you've been generous with your time. And, and I know you have to run. I'll ask you one last question. It kind of seems that you're having fun here, Ambassador. Um, I, I know that based on people who hang around coffee shops on Amic Rafaim, who see you pretty regularly, and um, and you always seem to be in good spirits. Maybe tell us a little bit what's it been like for you to to be living in Jerusalem, and in that, like, what's the long term plan for the embassy, and hopefully a more noble residence for the U.S. ambassador. Okay, well, you see, first of all, I love the place. I mean, you know, I, this is like, listen. I am so honored that Joe Biden would let me become the ambassador to Israel. Listen, I, again, I'm not a career diplomat. Uh, obviously, I've spent half my current government, half my career on Wall Street. Uh, I care deeply about the place. I, as you know, I am not a religious Jew. I'm a, uh, I'm a, a secular Jew. I'm a little Jewish kid from Minnesota. I was the youngest of seven kids. I came here for the first time when I was 14 years old. I've been here many, 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 many times. Uh, I care deeply about the people here. And I like being with the people. And, and, you know, I go to B'nai Brock and hang out with the, you know, the Orthodox, or I, I go hang out up north with the Druze, or I hang out with the Jews in Tel Aviv and the Jews in, in Jerusalem. I don't really care. I like people. I enjoy this place. It, you, you, you get turned on by it. And so, yeah, I'm trying to have fun. Um, and I think it's important. As where I live, you know, there's not a person who's listening to this call right now is going to give a damn where I live or, quite frankly, care that I, you know, listen, I get well taken care of. I get good food. I like using the Walt, the app that actually gets the carryout. It's like Uber Eats drives the people who work on my house nuts, but you know, a nice falafel by Walt, nice and warm. 
Yeah. You know, listen, guys, I'm a I'm a very lucky guy. You know, I've been blessed by having this opportunity. I want to do the best I can. I don't really have an agenda vis-a-vis a, a political agenda. I just want to do as best I can and help people, right? Help the Israelis, making sure they feel secure about this relationship. Help the Palestinians, making sure they understand we care deeply about a two-state solution. And if I get that done and have some fun at the same time, so be it. Well, Mr. Master, thank you so much for your time. Thanks for being with us, and um, keep you know keep up the good work. And um, I hope you continue to enjoy the the Wolf delivery. That's a pretty great message for our people. <laughs> Thanks, buddy. Peace. All right, take Bye. care. Thanks so much for listening to our show this week, and special thanks again to Ambassador Tom Nides and to all our friends at the U.S. Embassy here in Israel who helped make this possible. Identity Crisis is a product of the Shell Apartment Institute. This week's episode was produced by David C. Kalman and edited by M. Lewis Gordon, with assistance from Miri Miller, Shalhevet Schwartz, Yoav Friedman, and Sachi Cooks, with music provided by SoCalled. Transcripts of our show are now available on our website, typically a week after an episode airs. To find them, to learn more about the Shalom Hartman Institute, visit us online at shalomhartman.org. We're always looking for ideas for what we should cover in future episodes, so if you have a topic you'd like to hear about, or if you have comments on this episode, you can write to us at identitycrisis at shalomhartman.org. You can rate and review our show on iTunes to help more people find it. You can subscribe to our show everywhere podcasts are available. We'll see you next week, and thanks for listening.